It's November 20th, 2021, and welcome to episode 65 of the Babe Metal Podcast. We gather in the podcast Discord server on alternate weeks to discuss news and thoughts on the past and future projects of Babe Metal. We invite you to join us, whether you're a longtime fan or have only just arrived. I am Paul, and I am joined by Kevin. Contrary to popular belief, we are not sealed. And Maggie. Hi. Yeah, no, not sealed. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Can't say that. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, yeah. what do I follow up with that? <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, alternate alternate weeks is is uh alternate weeks. Is, I mean like occasional weeks. Now and again. Yeah. Is it time to change that copy? It might be time to change that copy. Oh, don't people like <laughs> sing along with it in their head when <laughs> um, It has a oh, what's the word? Like a rhythm. <laughs> yeah, right. It it uh, scans well or whatever, but it's traditional mm, at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh it's something like you know uh, a week. Every, I don't know when was the last one. The last one was a month ago or something, right? Like a, like about a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What well, was right before, or excuse me, it was right after the seal. So yeah, it's been about a month. That sounds right. Yeah. Although it took a while for the thing to hit the feed. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh wait, actually, we're really good at this. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but but it is it is interesting how um, now that they're sealed. It really, I really feel it. Like, like the energy just dropped, and um, oh, totally. And mm-hmm. it's not like before. Like before, things didn't. You know, they weren't sealed, and things weren't happening. Except they sort of were. There was still, always still sort of like a trickle of something. They did. They did kind of like keep alive a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's possible also that I'm projecting a little bit because I'm paying less attention because I know there's nothing to pay attention to. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, yeah. I am, I'm not even listening all that often. Like if I'm on a really long playlist and they come up, I'm like, cool. They're still, I, I still enjoy it, but uh, I'm not actively going after a listening mm-hmm. experience at the moment. Same here. Uh, yeah. I don't think my listening habits have changed really, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, I still haven't made it through all the Budokan shows. Mm, there you go. Oh, really? Oh, I did do that. Yeah. I, I may well have watched every every minute, but not in order. <laughs> oh, sure. I just sort of skip around, so. Yeah. Uh, anyway, our, the, the, it, we have a little show notes document, and in the show notes document, there's a, uh, a section called Recent News. And <laughs> Maggie would like to read the first bullet point. That's literally the bullet point. It just says, ha, 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 ha. And we're quite amused by that. I, yeah. I, and that was my exact reaction when I saw the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. But anyway, so what? Uh, while we wait around for whatever the next thing is, uh, mm-hmm. what, we're, what we were planning on talking about today, um, since there isn't really you know news to talk about or much by way of speculations we can do uh we have a gargantuan translation of mm-hmm. uh koba's baby metal legends book 10 baby metal legends yes. uh and this was uh it was again funny toss and capable paramedic who put it together uh and it it's divided up into 10 i think it's 10 sections um Anyway, it's, they're numbered from one to ten. I'm not sure if it skips. I think it doesn't. Um, well, so, there's a prologue and epilogue, so <laughs> yeah, combined True. in with one and ten, I think. But um, mm-hmm. so it basically goes over uh, from 
cobalt metals perspective uh you know could the all the major sort of eras and shows that they did you know legends being the name of their their large live shows uh and and it is very much from cobalt metals perspective he's not he's somewhere he says uh you know like this is this is uh not a place for stories directly involving the members or from their perspective those stories are for them to tell some have been some maybe in the future so but given what it is i I think it is really interesting and it's uh fantastic that we have access to it i mean like this Mm -hmm. must have been an incredible job (laughs) to go through this right but yeah Funny Toss is in our chat right now as we're recording. I'd love to know how long it took the two of you to get through this whole thing. Yeah, I'm a little frightened to hear the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it took a long time just to, to read it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, well, well, weeks, he says. Yeah. And that is weeks hugely appreciated by everybody. Yeah. Yes, very much so. We always appreciate. And of course, if you still want to support him. And all of the awesome things that he has been doing, as well as Gifu Prepare Mac, you can buy him a pizza on his site. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So there was, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to read. So there's a lot of stuff to sort of um, occupy yourself during this time of sealed ness, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take us this entire time to talk through this uh, book. You know, so this is, mm-hmm. you know, Koba's authored book. He actually has written another book. Uh, that's you know about sort of like the philosophy of metal, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't have that yet. I thought I know people do, but uh, I think mine's sitting in Tenso or something. Uh, and you know, at some point we'll we'll maybe get a chance to to talk about that. But this this is probably you know the more relevant book. <laughs> so mm-hmm. sure. Anyway, so I think what we'll do is just kind of walk through it in order. Um, sort of talk about whatever uh sort of roughly what it says but also like things that stood out mm-hmm. um does that seem reasonable yeah sure yeah definitely mm-hmm. okay so, I, I will start with my own prologue okay though yes and I, I do i just want to mention that you know for all of the ire that goes his way mostly from you know the english-speaking fan community mm-hmm. go read this book with an open mind if you get a chance, read the translation. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Everything that he puts out is awesome. I think he is the the best interviews you can read for anything Baby Metal for a couple of reasons. He knows mm-hmm. he, he, he can talk about whatever he wants because, you know, he's the one who institutes the gag order. Right. So he has discretion mm-hmm. um, and can share whatever he wants without risk of making himself angry or Going, you know, I don't even know how to describe that. You know, right. you know what I'm trying to say, though. Yeah. Um, and and plus, it's his creation, right? So it's super, right. always super insightful. So mm. go into this with an open mind and read it. I think you'll enjoy it, even if you hate the guy. And, <laughs> yeah. And maybe, and maybe at the end of it, you you know, you'll hate him less. Right. Indeed. I felt like there's a, a number. There were a lot of things in here that I that I kind of knew already, but at the same time, mm. like it made me realize some things that I hadn't noticed before like i think a couple of them came up even when we recorded last time i think you know like the use of the lights you know that it's like always red blue and white and you know like mm-hmm. blue is for the bridge and that sort of thing and and you know like right i i sort of knew that at some subconscious level but it was interesting to sort of see that spelled out like this actually was really very intentional <laughs> so yeah mm-hmm. 
okay, so the first bit is prologue and one. Legend. It says legend I, but this will be legend one, <laughs> the first of ten. <laughs> right. It actually sort of talks a little bit about the the creation of the idea in this section. Yeah, so we've talked about this before um, all over the place on this podcast, um, and we've heard it from Koba before. He, tr- he really treats the live performance as the, the experience, right? It's the bread and like butter. musical. Yeah, it's like musical theater. Um, and one of the first things he says in his prologue, and I'll quote, for me, the live performance is like a devil's fruit. And he's talking about the first time he went to a live show. After eating it for the first time, an electric current coursed through my body, and I realized that everything about me had changed. Ever since then, I've been hooked on live music. Um, And I think that's a great foundation and a great place for us to start talking about his philosophy and the things that he talks to us about through his Mm -hmm. book, um, because it really it lays the foundation for his idea of the group, how he approaches the live, how he approaches the music um, and how it's evolved over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We sort of knew how much he he drew from like Seikuma 2 and, uh, you know, like the his own early experiences he, he says a couple of times that uh starting with that you know having having that be koba's first concert um the black mass of seikuma too uh which mm-hmm. the um i think we've talked about them before but they're very showy <laughs> i mean yeah it's mm-hmm. it's it's all yeah. just like uh you know costumes and and theater Flash. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so a lot of the stuff that uh he came up with is sort of inspired by that mm-hmm. the black mass itself you know for example uh and he said if i if i had started with iron maiden i don't think i would have been able to break free from the mainstream metal which mm. is interesting mm-hmm. you know, like he started off in this weird place and and then right. found the rest of it um, right yeah and it's great and i think they've they've nailed that and it's super relatable like as soon as i read this quote out of the book i was like oh because my one of my first I've, i'd been to concerts before but i experienced this um, the first time I saw them live and, you know, and I've been hooked ever since. And, you know, now I'm talking on a podcast doing this kind of crazy <laughs> stuff. Right. Yes. Um, so I get it, you know, mission accomplished. Um, and this just it adds weight to the importance and the way they feel about the live performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said that it resembled a pro wrestling show, he, you know, the, which, which i'm sure he appreciated um and that, mm. you know where the audience kind of like enjoys the performance within a certain set of rules you know and, and right um sort of he, he has this goal of um being something like disneyland he you know we this he said this in many places right um being sort mm-hmm. of immersed in an atmosphere that wouldn't exist in the outside world you know like you you come mm-hmm. to, it's sort of a escapist <laughs> in a way right um it's and it's riding that line between sort of like complete fantasy and you know sort of you know a real concert yeah Mm -hmm. exactly so yeah another thing i I found really interesting in the in his prologue section here was that he had already set his sights on performing at budokan um and wanting to do the idz series of shows like from the very beginning it's like uh-huh. I, I have this idea we're gonna do this this is the this is the goal for now mm-hmm. um and i i think that's relevant and kind of important to call out because it shows that from the very beginning there's always been a plan 
Um, mm-hmm. And every time we've we've heard from him in an interview or he's let information into the world, what they do is extremely planned. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing is on a whim. Nope. Right. Even though they also have to like deal with very last second, you know, catastrophes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but and, I, and that's interesting. You bring that up because I think it's important to talk about. You know, they've always said that going to the dark side and the doing the dark era for a year was always planned, regardless mm-hmm. of Yui leaving the group and not being able to perform. Um, and I think that's been a point of contention. It's like, well, is that you know, is that how true is that? You know, like reading this knowing that they were planning Budokan years in advance, like from the beginning before they'd even recorded anything um, adds weight to that. Yeah. That dark side year was probably planned and they were going mm-hmm. to do that regardless of Yui mm-hmm. uh, leaving mm-hmm. the group or not. Well, and if you, if you, you know, like skip way to the end, he was talking about his little like notebooks that he kept track of his ideas and over the years, right. you know, he already had mm-hmm. light side and dark side in like the, <laughs> his first yeah. notes. <laughs> so another thing that was, that came up here um, in the first chapter was, you know, talking about 2010, uh, the, and I think we mentioned this last time too, but the, the, uh, time that they had available was super limited. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. time for activities was limited by the rules of the human world. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe only 10 days of a year is what, was what, it, what he said. And so it, um, yeah. it required a lot of focus to get as much time out of, get as much out of those few days that they had as possible and so his idea you know it seems like a uh, relative relatively good take on this is like take take that limit and turn it into the idiosyncrasy of the group you know like focus right. everything on those couple of days so that's why um everything is very very sort of fleeting with them you know like mm-hmm. it happens and it's gone you know mm-hmm. big right. one day show that doesn't repeat <laughs> yeah. right it's kind of crazy to think about 10 days a year to do something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really clear if that's an example or an exaggeration. Right. Um, or the rule, but I, you know, I think it, it really just does drive home the point that they didn't have a whole lot of time to do anything when they were very young. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. No. Yeah. And I think this also was to um, sort of separate them from the other sort of idle units around you know so um mm-hmm. funny dust is actually mentioning this in the chat right now and i'm reading it in his translation but um you know these these big groups like um akb you know whatever high number that follows akb um you know they perform 48 every it's day. always 48 well 48 yeah <laughs> no matter how uh, many members i think it's always 48 yeah i see okay but yeah but i mean like they perform all the time all over the place and you know like part of the mm-hmm. part of their thing is their sort of like universal accessibility right mm-hmm. um, right uh, so that's uh you know that babe metal's kind of going for the the opposite of that mm-hmm. um, um another thing i thought that was interesting that i hadn't thought of before um but having read it now i see it and it it's a great um example parallel mm-hmm. um analog um he says uh <laughs> Like Disneyland, Baby Metal's live stage is a dream world. The Fox God crew is forever behind the scenes and visibly making miracles happen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's 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 it. I don't know if you've never been to a Disney park or experienced, you know, Disney outside of, you know, a, a movie, cartoon, TV show, what have you. You know, their whole philosophy is you never see the magic or behind yep. the magic, what's making the magic happen, mm-hmm. right? They're presenting exactly. a product that is 
magic. And, you know, a failure to them is if you see what made the magic happen. Mm-hmm. And they go to great lengths to preserve that that air of you know making miracles and magic happen and things like that. Exactly. And I hadn't I hadn't really thought of heavy metal in that context before, um, but it's a great analogy and it's a great parallel to what his vision is and the way they operate. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. would also kind of explain the story basis and the lore and things and why you know taking care of how. Yeah, you know, how things go forward as far as a story is concerned. Because even like, if you said it's Disneyland, they have stories and things that they they keep with and events and all sorts of stuff. But it all is, yeah, pretty done. So, uh, mm-hmm. funny toast poses an interesting question in the chat: Is the mystery slash lore in service of the girls, or are they acting in service of the lore? Um, he thinks it's something um, they came up with because of the circumstances. That's an interesting thing to talk around. Um, mm-hmm. I think since we're talking about the book, um, you know, he made it pretty clear early on that he wanted to go in this kind of mystery stage, mm-hmm. you know, that, that the antithesis, antithesis, antithesis mm-hmm. of, of AKB, of groups like AKB 48, where they're always accessible, always available, that kind of thing. I don't know. I think if you asked a hundred people, you get a hundred different answers on that kind of question. What do you mm-hmm. guys, what do you guys think about that? My my interpretation of that is that like what what Kobo was really trying to do was was to create this kind of like you know fantastic experience uh, you know so it was it was it's supposed to be kind of like divorced a bit from reality and uh, so you know he was he was trying to mimic the the stuff that he saw in his his early concerts and and you know get that kind of a immersed mm-hmm. feeling you know I, I I'm sure you know the that that's the plan and then you know they're they're playing their roles in it um there's a, there is a fair amount of discussion that one sees you know in the in the fan base about how like uh they, they can't do x because it goes against the lore or whatever um mm-hmm. but that I, that doesn't seem very likely to me you know i mean mm-hmm. I, I think basically you know it's it's just a it's a way to create an experience but but again because you want you don't want um to see the invisible hand behind the magic you know they're not going to you don't they don't go out as themselves and you know post uh, uh, whatever food tweets or whatever right yeah um because that is kind of seeing the the crew in a way yeah Mm -hmm. i think looking at it analytically based on you know this book and other interviews we've had i i would say um the girls are acting in service of the lore this is the, the the it wasn't created to shield them from reality or society um i think that's a good side effect, a good benefit of operating in this manner. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that like Paul said, this was the vision and how they wanted to operate to create the aura of magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that I've seen this kind of because, you know, baby Bella has become so large in the, in the world now internationally for people to try to understand that while also needing that accessibility probably i mean it can be frustrating at the same time so them trying to keep up with it while also not making other people extremely upset (laughs) is definitely a work in progress i'm sure Mm -hmm. um it's it's a it's a good thing up to a point there's always a good thing up to a point so i'm just kind of hoping that if if they continue on this line of the whole more disney-esque type of performance art we'll go ahead and call it that 
um, that it just doesn't backfire on them later on. I hope not. It seems sort of pertinent, this little bit that I'm looking at right now. He's sort of talking about you know, sort of their early activities. And he says, at that time, reality shows were becoming popular in Japan uh, and abroad, and people would use social media to share their daily lives, like what they ate that day. Of course, reality shows mm-hmm. are interesting in a way. However, it seems like everyone is doing the same thing, and the sense of desire just demands more and more, and I feel that there's a certain danger of escalation mm-hmm. like addiction. Um, so what does yeah, that have to do with there Vietnam? you go. Uh, in yeah. the first place, they had limits on how long they could work, and legends aren't created just through updating Instagram every day. <laughs> I mean, so, not right. wrong. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot a lot of the early um, approach to this really was driven by the fact that they had a very limited time to do this, and it worked, so they stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that's that I thought was interesting is the, talking sort of about the you know the be- beginning of the idea, uh, the combination of dance with metal was something that was being sort of explored as something that hadn't really been explored before you know they, that mm-hmm. you know the, he, this is the people he was working with were dance performers and metal is not something that has traditionally been paired that way <laughs> so right no. so that was a way to sort of grab people's attention i thought that was mm-hmm. it, it was interesting that, that he mentioned that because i you know it hadn't occurred to me but yeah it is i mean like it isn't something that i think of as having been put together before and in, in, in a way that could still work Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, not definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And it does seem like, you know, if you think about what can you dance to, you know, like what what has dance been applied to, you would have thought everything. <laughs> but but I think he's <laughs> right that, you know, like this was a place that uh, was still untraveled. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know, like... <laughs> I guess when you at like a metal concert, instead of people, you know, a dancing around to the beat and the music, I guess you are assumed that if you're really getting into the music, you mosh. <laughs> right. That yeah. is what you do. But in like some people's regards, aka moi, I don't necessarily want to mosh. I mm. just kind of want to bounce around and just just bop, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So that correlation i could totally i totally get it and i'm so glad for baby mel doing that it's great <laughs> well yeah i think you know the um the the pairing of actual choreography <laughs> with the performers you know is something that um i mean i guess you know what grunge probably doesn't do that either <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah no not really mm. maybe we could start a, a, yeah. <laughs> a j-pop grunge band <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yep. There we go. Let's hit all the ver- all the verticals. We'll get rich. Yep. Exactly. Who, who wants to be on our grunge dance idol group? Ooh, me, me. Oh yes, no. I and I and I did forget the thing that I was going to say when I brought that up um, was that the other the other thing that um, he mentioned when he was talking about this being an, an area that had, um, you know, like dance had been applied to nearly every genre but metal, um, is that it takes a takes time for you to kind of comprehend that and so what he said at least is that he was um he buried little connections to other things um within the the sort of music and performance uh as a way to help people file this 
away and help people retain it. Um, so it, he says it takes uh, takes time for something to uh, grab people's attention because there's no place to file it. I guess I, I, those are my mm-hmm. words, not his, but that's something like what he said. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Right. And so so all these little homages and and you know hidden reference points that we see, which is you know it's sort of just grabbing stuff and st- sticking it together, but it's also in service of the audience, like understanding mm-hmm. what's happening. That was an interesting take on what he was doing, rather than just like stealing stuff. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's possible. So what we're done with what ten percent? Ten percent. There's I mean, you know, there's a ton of stuff that we're not yeah. reading here. Um yeah. absolutely. So so do read it, but uh uh I think we maybe can proceed to uh Legend Two. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, let's go. Yes. Okay. Uh so this is this is Rock Macon. Um I July twenty first, twenty twelve. That was yeah. our first show. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, yeah. Yeah. First, first solo first, live show. Yeah. First so, solo, yeah. Oh, little babies. So, I, mean, <laughs> I think we've talked about, we've talked about Rock Macon before, mm-hmm. you know, in, in other contexts. Um, I think the first thing I think worth mentioning that we learn from this book in particular is, as Paul alluded to earlier uh, in the episode, the use of color mm-hmm. and the planned use of color. Mm-hmm. Um Red, blue, and white as the base colors for lighting. Not mixing more than three colors. Uh, creating surfaces rather than points. And lighting being more about subtraction than addition. Um, Paul read this earlier. Uh, you know, melody might be red. The bridge might be blue. The chorus, mm-hmm. white. Um, you know, from a stage design, think about every show you've seen. Mm-hmm. And try and figure out if they've used other colors. Mm-hmm. At least as a light in stage lighting, um, not like the LED background. Right. Right. I can't recall any thing other than red, white, blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about consistency. And I think that's super interesting. Um, you know, coming from like photography where color is super important mm-hmm. to convey, you know, your artistic image as it were mm-hmm. um the fact that they've remained consistent throughout 10 years and i'm really only using these colors i find super interesting whereas mm-hmm. if you look at any other group on the planet you know they're constantly evolving their stage show to do more add more spectacle do more things mm-hmm. um and I, I wonder if one of the reasons they use you know stick to the three colors is to not distract from the theater performance happening on stage in front of the microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that could be. I agree. One thing that this is actually, I think, uh, I think I learned mainly from a translator's note rather than from the the thing itself, but um, the rock Macon show actually followed a little kind of mini warm up tour that they had um, the little warm up tour. The, I think there was just a couple of shows, the Hedoban pilgrimage and the way that you actually refer to, pilgrimage the you know the the word for it uh is anya um which you know so it sounds like herobangya right like like the like the song title so so headbang mm-hmm. pilgrimage is actually a pun by itself which i did not, not I did surprising not <laughs> his his affinity for puns yeah but i mean the whole thing like the, at the at that time the rock Macon show i think it does really seem like it's um it's really riding the line between just like 
a joke and not a joke <laughs> because I mean, it does sort of seem like, you know, this is the iconic place where people launch their bands, you know? So of course this little like novelty act is going to like, mm-hmm. you know, go do that. And they, you know, they probably yeah. were, they probably were booked just as, you know, to play along with the joke. Right. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time it was, you know, it, it was done seriously. And, you know, I, th- I think everybody there was probably also similarly kind of like riding the line. They were, they were, everyone had to, uh, in order to go to the show, you had to buy this single, right? The, the yeah. headbanger mm-hmm. single. And in that box comes a, uh, a little neck brace. So you had to wear a neck brace to get in. So everyone's standing right. in line wearing this neck brace, you know, which adds to the surrealness of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so much of this was, uh, you know, it was really, it was really crafted. One thing that's kind of cool about this book is that, you know, he, he does sort of talk through the shows, um, and shows how they connect in a way that I didn't really fully appreciate. Like, you know, what happens at the end of one show usually leads into what happens at the beginning of the next show. Mm-hmm. In, in legend D, you know, Sue had been crucified and ascended into flames and then, and, and then the next one, legend Z, she appears, um, from below the stage with the same appearance that she had at the end of the, the previous show. Uh, I never noticed this before. I mean, like other people probably had, but, uh-huh. <laughs> but, but they're, but they really are, you know, they really are trying to do some kind of continuity. Right. Well, I mean, it was part of a, part of a, like a set too. Like I can understand that. I mean, kind of like, just like, um, I mean, I'm probably sure we'll talk about it later, but like, uh, you know, Tokyo Dome and, and Legend of Metal Galaxy, you know, there was some, you know, each night yes it was a thing but it had a you know it conjoined with the other night in some semblance even if it was totally different mm-hmm. yeah you know? and to that point i think it's really interesting that in these earlier years you know their their approach was very much we don't know how long we're going to get to do this mm-hmm. so we're just going to crush and put maximum effort into everything we do right mm-hmm um, with the intention of knowing, well, we might not be here tomorrow, so let's make sure that everything we do is the best it can be, and we're, you know, we don't have any regrets going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you see that in the quality, uh, in the consistent quality, um, even to this day, of the product they put out and put on stage. Mm-hmm. One of the main things I think about when I think about uh, Legend Z is that um, that was the point where they could have ended and they really um this show really kind of poked at that so you know in this in the article um or in the the chapter he said uh, he writes you know before the show started it was thought that baby metal might disband after z due to the limited time structure meaning yeah. presumably i'm not sure what exactly what that refers to but probably soccer Queen's structure because i was going to say because didn't she graduate around that time of I know there was a lot of people yeah. like concerned because of whenever she graduated. Yeah, no, that's so. right. Um, Fe- this was February first, twenty thirteen, um, and I think March would have been the graduation yes. from yeah. Soccer Gawkin. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, so uh, after the after the last song, uh, they there they put a big like timer on the screen that counted down to zero, and then the logo, uh, you know, disintegrated, <laughs> and. You know, so it really, it was really sort of like saying, look, it's over. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the, the, uh, uh, 
basically over and over and over again since then, uh, it's been essentially like, you know, we're finished with this and we're reconstructing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what happened after the, you know, the, the countdown went to zero, the logo just, you know, uh, fell apart and then like nothing happened <laughs> for quite yeah. a while, you know, just to zero on the screen. <laughs> and then the way it's described here, I don't remember this actually being exactly how it, I didn't perceive it this way, but um, it says, uh, you know, so um, in the midst of the chaos, a faint cry from the, from the, the uh, soul could be heard. We are to which the audience responded baby metal in support and the voices grew louder and louder that was i think that might have actually been the first time they did that mm-hmm. we are baby metal yeah because yeah. that's supposed to be like reminiscent of like x pan or something i believe right mm-hmm. oh yeah no it's right that's something that they did though i mean i think <clears throat> this was supposed to be clear you know that they were they just sort of like reimagined themselves or something but I still, I still think about the very end of that, where um, usually what they had done up to that point is that you know Sue Metal would say "see you" and then, and then uh, U Metal and Mo Metal, Metal would say "see you," right? Mm-hmm. But this is the one case where she just said "take care of your neck" and took off. <laughs> <laughs> Later, <laughs> you know the other two Might said drop. "see you," so it really did seem like uh, yeah. maybe what they mean is she's leaving and they're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> But so I, I would say it wasn't even clear then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, fans I've talked to who experienced this in real time all thought it was over. Right. Even and with the rebuilt logo. Even. Yeah. It was like, oh, uh, I guess it's over. Now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Well, that's kind of an interesting parallel to the seal. Well, if you watch it, too, they take it. They, they take a huge, huge bow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like, you know, it's it really is like a curtain call bow. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's hard to watch, actually, <laughs> even though you know what happens. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I'm sure people uh, have been drawing parallels to the seal a month ago to the curtain call mm-hmm. nine years ago, eight years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, one thing that uh, came up here when they were talking about um, at the very beginning, starting with Legend Eye, they, their venue is O East. I don't really know the venues, but O East is the venue. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that had a built-in screen and they were trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> so they decided, oh, we'll play a little movie. Um, and so that's, that's the reason, basically because O East has a built-in screen, that's why we have all these little movies. Mm, more right. or less. Well, that's kind of neat. <laughs> um, there's also, they also said there's a substage next to the main stage and they wanted to figure out how to use that. And I'd never noticed this before. Like I went back and watched that bit to see what what was being talked about um and yeah there mm-hmm. you know because i couldn't i didn't remember there being a second stage but actually at the beginning of of headbanger they the the coffins appear there behind a like a metal gate and then they walk over a little bridge that they built for the purpose from that sub stage over to the main stage and i'd never even i'd, I'd never sort of noticed that before but it, you know now that I, now that this sort of technicality of the staging was discussed um you know i'm like oh yeah that they, they came from somewhere on the side of the room <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting to watch this uh watch the shows that are being talked about um as they're mm-hmm. talked about that's another you know so if you want to spend whatever it is week and a half just like you know watching the show and reading the chapter uh, <laughs> yeah that would be a good mm-hmm. use of time mm-hmm 
Okay. Should we move to three? Yes. To three. Onward. Okay, so the third one um, is, let's see, what is, I guess we had, um, this covers first a bunch of festivals, um, which they talk about a little bit. I think that's interesting. And then it then it moves on to the um, Budokan shows. So um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the festivals first. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything you wanted to, to mention about that? Um, Met Rock, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's the default if you are just getting into this group for the first time and need something to show somebody, uh, Met Rock is the one to do. Um, and this has nothing to do with any of the content we're talking about in the book. It's, uh, <laughs> I just, I think one of their, their best live performances to this date. Um, I think the energy is unmatched. It's the quintessential thing to show people you are trying to get into this group. I think. Yeah. Is the yeah. two, is the 2013 Met Rock, uh, on a, on a disc somewhere because I, I think was it the 2015 one is yeah because I think tw- that came with the that came with the 15, secondary 15 lady. is okay if 15. you haven't seen 13 oh man I good. haven't no I mean if that's the one where she um the tool from her skirt like there was a bit yes, that had unraveled. is that yeah. from that one it unravels okay. yeah okay I have actually seen that one she My dances apologies. it off yeah, my apologies. I have. It's seen really that. good. the The 2015 one is really good too. Yeah, they're both mm. really good. Yeah, the 2015 was the one that, that usually most people point to. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the and, and it's easier to get. Yeah, yeah. That was included on a um, with, uh, I think it was a special edition of Metal Resistance, maybe the limited. Yeah, the the limited special edition. It's yeah. the one the, with the three girls on the front with the black cloaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's I, a couple I years after ever this. But back. <laughs> I don't think they've ever been back. No. Right after 2015, they never did Met Rock again. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, the reason, part of the reason we're thinking about this now is that uh, they did it in 2013, um, which is what was right. covered in this chapter. But um, they, uh, but yeah, I think what was it? Um, Summer Sonic is the one that they they were regulars at. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. These other ones, so. Uh, Metropolitan Rock Festival, uh, Rock, uh, Rock in Japan Fest, uh, Loud Park. These, these, I think, were kind of one-offs. But Summer Sonic, they were at uh, several times. Yes. But um, I think one thing that was interesting in here was they talked a little. Uh, Koba talked a little bit about the change in approach because I mean, like, uh, it, it's one thing if you have a show that people are coming to see you at. And there's another. It's mm-hmm. a, another thing where you're um, you're at a festival. People may not know who you are. They're there to see someone else. You have 15 minutes to set up. You know, not not uh, mm-hmm. days to work on your stage. Um, things may or may not work. Um, you have to like yeah. be on stage with someone else's drums. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. So, uh, so uh, he calls the uh, the approach that they take in festivals a strong style. Um, to confront festival audiences who don't know you. <laughs> well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. they kind of have to put their foot down and be like, this is us. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool that, that like he con- conceives of these in two different ways. You know, like there's the, there's the theatrical style and there's the strong style. And in fact, actually I think um, uh, th- there was, th- we'll come, we'll come up to it. There's another, another place where even in one of their own shows, they t- a, took a, a strong style approach 
Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Um, where are we? Three. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, talked a little bit about uh, Budokan. Mm-hmm. So, like Rakmakan, Budokan is another sort of sacred place. It was um, a mm-hmm. judo hall built in 1964, or built for the yeah. Olympics in 1964. Um, and apparently people generally do two-day shows there because it's just financially ridiculous to do a one-day show there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. And so there's a, there's a fair amount of discussion in the chapter about the, the kind of like concern that Koba had with the, the idea that, you know, they're supposed to be telling a story, kind of like it's an evolving thing. And you don't just like, you don't want to do, you don't want to repeat something because the story is supposed to be progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think that the fact that there were two days comes from the fact that it doesn't make sense to do a one day Budokan show, but the fact that they weren't the same is really coming from the uh, idea that they don't repeat stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Which is why it's always like, if you have an opportunity to go to a baby metal show, try to go to a legend concert. I mean, try to go to any, but like legend concert is usually pretty special because it's not, yeah, they may play some of the same songs per se, but the, I guess just the theatrices, if you like, if that's a word, (laughs) uh, is definitely, is, is different and I don't know. That's just my opinion on that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's just accurate. Um, mm-hmm. They perform differently on a small stage touring internationally than in a giant venue in Japan, right? Which is right. usually the legend type shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's cool that we finally, we've covered three years in the first three section of this book. And one of the first things he mentions was, you know, one of the goals being Budokan and here we are. They've, you know, they've doing doing that after three years, I think is pretty incredible. There are groups mm-hmm. that have been around much longer who have not been able to pull off, you know, an arena show. Mm-hmm. That's like Budokan is like the thing is like if if you if you play at Budokan, you're you're something. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. like Iron Maiden, Metallica, Ozzy, every big group ever that's toured Japan has hit Budokan. Mm hmm. That's like the venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the always really akin, popular akin one that's like, played? Cheap Trick. Akin to maybe, <laughs> yeah, Cheap Trick. Yeah. Um, akin to maybe like Wembley in the UK. You know, that's another iconic like concert venue. Yeah. You know, that they do end up doing later. Um, so hit that, to put that in context, Budokan is a big deal. And mm-hmm. like um, uh, Madison Square Garden, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. That's always seems to be really iconic too. Yeah, maybe a little bit more than the forum, but although the forum and Madison Square, I believe, are same owned by the same company now, but still, either way, I mean, same process. It's it's the box you check to determine if you've made it or not. Right. Yep. <laughs> and it's still, you know, like there's still this element of like it's you're you're playing along you're you're playing along with their joke, <laughs> you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. That oh yeah okay we're gonna do rock Mikan. oh we're gonna do Budokan okay yeah let, sure let them do Budokan that'd be funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right uh, at the end of the Budokan shows the the image on stage was of coffins flying away right um, and mm-hmm. that was 
partly because at the end of that show they they announced this huge amount of stuff but they're basically you know like doing a bunch of like overseas stuff they were you know flying to uh do festivals and they were um supporting lady gaga they were doing you know heavy montreal summer sonic 2014 Mm -hmm. um o2 brixton so you know they they flew off in their coffins to go do this stuff and part of the reason (laughs) i mentioned that is that in in the next part um the next chapter uh they play at um i guess they're playing the trilogy and at the beginning of the trilogy their their coffins fly back (laughs) which is cool oh yeah yeah. the the uh, through the uh the video screens yeah so yeah after the successful world tour back to the theatrics yeah but again connecting things too i mean like like not not only does it kind of connect a little bit to the real world but it also connects to like one concert to another Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, one thing he talks about in this section is how most Japanese groups had been kind of limited to being invited to like anime conventions and just Japanese culture festivals and stuff um, when they toured internationally. Um, so it was kind of a, a a big deal to be able to go perform at real music venues, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at, you know, as a Japanese act. Um, that's not something, you know, even to this day that happens really very seldom at all <laughs> i think the only the only other time that i can think of well there's a couple times excuse me um i know that um uh, death note can't think of their name oh and i like them too this is What's terrible maximum um, the hormone. maximum the hormone thank you maximum the hormone was invited uh i believe to Co- was it coachella oh no it was something big they got invited um to a festival and actually, before, uh, well, in 2020, Bandmade had actually was going to do their first festival uh, in my home state of Ohio uh, at a place called um, Incar- Ink Carceration, which is super cool. It's held at, a, at a, um, a sanitarium, essentially, and they have a whole lot of, like, tattoo artists and stuff and all sorts of things. And they were going to perform there, and then course COVID happened and then when it got rescheduled they weren't able to make it which was kind of sad to see but yeah for the most part it's very very rare to see any kind of Japanese acts well that's and that's and that's modern right you talked about bandmade that would have been last year maximum the hormone is just in the last couple of years this is you know 2013 yeah yeah even then so this is this is really quite trailblazing um I don't even know how much like ex-Japan or Hyde had performed internationally at events like mm, this. Not at an you know, event. I think they just performed solo. Yeah, they do their yeah they do their solo stuff. But I don't, you know, like going to Sonosphere is huge. I don't think mm-hmm. before Baby Metal that this had ever really happened before. I mean, fact check me on that. But off the top <laughs> of my head, I can't think of any groups from Japan that had done anything like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in here, there was also there was uh, some talk about doing the 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 shows abroad and having to rely on you know the local staff and never knowing quite is the screen going to work you know who knows um yeah mm-hmm. but um he talks a little bit about uh feeling you know we've heard them say a couple times like you know oh England's like our second home or something like that you know some something yeah. along mm-hmm. those lines um and i kobo talks a little bit about this too and uh says is perhaps it's because the UK is an island nation like japan I thought, okay, <laughs> it's a, a bit of a tenuous okay. connection, but um, right. But uh, he definitely does, for whatever reason, feel kind of like a, a 
camaraderie with the UK. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm talking about Sonosphere some more. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they had been scheduled for one of the smaller stages. I then got moved to the main stage. Right. To six from going, basically going from performing to three to 5,000 to 60,000 on the main stage. Um, and that they had no rehearsal for that. Yeah. You just showed up and did it. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine that. No. At all. No. <laughs> I would be so scared. Yeah. Yeah. I just, no. <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah, I, I think we've they, they were. Yeah, we have definitely heard that that was terrifying. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I'm, put yourself in their shoes as a teenager and be expected to do that. That mm-hmm. God, that is just mind-blowing. Yeah. When you consider that context, um, right. you know, sure, they've been doing this for a few years. And, you know, Budokan was a big deal. Budokan doesn't hold 60,000 people. Not even, no. not even close. Not even close. No. Mm-hmm. And those are people that, you know, are there to see you. You know you've won them over, right? right. True. 60,000 yeah. people in a country that doesn't speak your language with no rehearsal and, you know, being 14. <laughs> my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I can't imagine. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, like, you know, even even being in front of five, like the difference between being in front of 5,000 and being in front of 60,000 might not be that big in a way <laughs> because being in front of 5,000 mm-hmm. is already in front of a lot of people. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's an outdoor festival, right? Yeah. 5,000, I feel like you would see the end of the crowd at 60,000. It just goes to the horizon. Yeah, true. That's one of the things about mm-hmm. um, that Metroc 2015 video. You know, like when you when you look at that and they, mm-hmm. they pan across yeah. the crowd, the people just go on forever. I mean, like forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so... and the coolest part about that is you can see the sound traveling through the crowd yeah. and how people are jumping and moving. You can see the sound waves because it's traveling all the way to the back. I think that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it takes a bit sometimes when you're all the way in the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they said he, uh, he said something near the end here um, that, uh, you know, at this at this point, you know, metal resistance, which had aimed to be a restoration of metal, had become a reality. Babe Metal had started as somewhat of a silly thing that we executed seriously. Um, and I thought that was kind of a, that's a you know, yeah. that expresses what I think they are. You know, it, mm, it, is, totally. it is silly, but they do it seriously. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, yes, yeah. So, in this chapter, they have uh, Road of Resistance premiering at O2 Brixton, um, and basically, the um, uh, promoter basically said, like, you know, this 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 worked really well. You know, you should come back. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. worth, figure out a way to come back. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay, we can move on to four. Yon yon. Yon yon. <laughs> Anytime I see a double four, or even a triple four, it's always yon yon. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the main thing that's being discussed in part four here is the trilogy. Um, so that uh, started with the New Year's Fox Festival, um, January 2015. And then one were the other ones. I don't know. They're after that. They're, they're separated by a fair amount of time, though. Yeah, January, June, and December. So, I mean, like these, I think of the trilogy as like a, a close together unit, but I mean, like the half a year mm-hmm. goes by between the, uh, each one or each pair, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, and actually, I don't think I, I didn't have a lot to say about these really, but um, uh, except the thing I already mentioned, which is that the, the um, first of the trilogies shows up, um, you know, the, they, 
it starts with the coffins coming back from Budokan, you know, from their overseas right. travel, which is kind of cool. Uh, the stage was a blend of Japanese and Western styles in order to signify the the trip. That oh. was an impressive stage. That was a nice stage. That was super. That impressive. was a really nice stage. I don't know. I think that was probably one of their best. But once again, yeah. my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> that's another thing that's kind of funny about this. You know, like uh, if you read through this, I, I've lost track of like <laughs> how many how many of these shows Koba says was one of the best. <laughs> but I think it might yeah, be right. all of them. <laughs> Well, they keep one upping. Yeah, that's definitely a theme throughout there. And you know, another theme they talk about. Um, you know, he, he talks about people wanting a second album, and you know, he says when the first was released, he, he already kind of considered it as a, this is the idea, this is the best of, and there probably won't be another one. Right, like, <laughs> it could be the last album. You know, and, and that's not the first time we've heard him talk about the uncertainty of kind of the early years, and this could just end at any moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he really is driving that point home, um, and you know I, I don't know that there's any more to read into that throughout mm-hmm. the rest of this book because it's not the last time he talks about you know it could be doing doing things because it could be the last time, um, mm-hmm. but it it does seem to be a core value of the group, mm-hmm. uh, inexplicably, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is just kind of it's it's a good one to have. And it's just good life advice. You know, do do everything at your fullest like it's the last time you get to do it. I think that's just a good way to operate. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I think it worked pretty well. It, it uh, you know, it, it started out as kind of an enforced focus just due to, like, the real world. But uh, yeah. but they, they stuck with it. Mm-hmm. This, by the way, this was the play. I was trying to remember this before, but this this is where they switched um, between styles. So the the first trilogy show was the big theatrical one, and the second show was in the strong style that they use in the festivals. So they have a, they have a triangle stage in the middle. They had a you know big mm-hmm. pyramid covering it at the beginning that fell to reveal them at the end. Um, but so so the the second the Magohari Messi show uh, in the middle of the trilogy was was done in the strong style mm-hmm. and then the third one was back to i guess uh spectacle Theatrics. theatrical yeah well with those big fox heads i mean yeah. please <laughs> i mean you could technically think of it as being strong style because uh those are really big fox heads <laughs> those are well, yeah. a little uh a little uh, intimidating <laughs> <laughs> well i think the strong style was supposed to be basically what they do at festivals you know like um to right. to with not relying on theatrical theatrics but relying on just like you know strength right. performance um, that makes think, sense yeah i gotcha oh you know i forget if we talked about this here before uh i know that it took many times watching uh the the, the third of the trilogy shows before i really kind of noticed this but um the lights on the fox heads in the back indicate uh-huh. who's participating so in a sue solo only the middle fox is lit in Black Bay Metal, the outer oh, two really? foxes are lit, and then the rest of the time, all three are. Wait, what? Yeah, I had oh, I no idea. I never caught that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they thought about this stuff. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I mean that's that's the theme of me reading this whole thing. It's like, holy crap, the amount of it, the attention to detail is just off the charts mm-hmm. with this group, and you know that I have, I do have a new appreciation for you know even the lore you know and the performances they do because they think about everything yeah Mm -hmm. you know and it's such a contrast to a group 
like, I don't know, the hell, Foo Fighters or something, you know, that just kind of go out, do their thing, right? And it's like, <laughs> their, oh, if something happened. Yeah, put their yeah. instruments on and just go do the thing. Um, oh, hey, you know, that, lead singer broke his foot. Now he's sitting in a throne chair. Hey, I broke yeah, my foot. <laughs> yeah, of course, that's exactly the first thing I was thinking, too. It's like, you, you say that, and I think, you know, him sitting there in his chair. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's, you know, that's a still working through adversity. Yeah. But, but it's not and, up that planned. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, going all the way back to the prologue, if they hadn't approached their performances with this attention to detail and in this way, I don't think the group would have worked. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, and, you know, back to this chapter, it does give me a new appreciation for the lore direction and the vision. Um, and it's definitely kind of made me reevaluate maybe my own thoughts and opinions, maybe frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing that there is a plan, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I have no reason not to trust the plan, basically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One thing that, and so, you know, like, I'm sure people who lived through this at the time, you know, were aware of all these things, but I I didn't know things like the third show, like, so the, the video for the song, The One, um, uses the uh, footage from this show where they're flying around in this gondola, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I did not know that that only happened on the second day. <laughs> Uh, and they used the gondola on the first day at the beginning. Uh, you know, because oh. you don't see oh. the first day. <laughs> so, yeah, no. I didn't know that either. Um, so that's kind of cool. And interesting that... that is, and, is it? Is, is it cool? Is that really what you're asking? <laughs> I, well, I mean, is it, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, imagine having tickets for the, the first day and not the second day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've, I've been in that position before. <laughs> yeah, that's... Well, I think that's part of like what you get what do you get when you get tickets to these shows you know, like you, that's just part of the deal you know this is if part you don't of the deal. Get t- tickets for all the shows you might miss something that they do at only one yeah. of them so exactly um, yeah i did that for uh big fox festival osaka i was just i i won tickets through the one uh, for the second night uh, but i didn't have anything for the first night and i was so so upset because I was just like, oh my God, what if they perform something really cool the first night and then I totally missed out on it. Yep. Um, so I went out of my way to find somehow to get a second uh, ticket for the first night. <laughs> yeah. But in hindsight, of course, we all know Big Fox Festival and its significance at this time. So I'm just like, maybe it was meant to be like there was a reason why I won that ticket for the second night. But, you know, anyway. Continuing on. Yeah, I guess I would not mind another book talking about the marketing of Baby Metal. Because, you know, we were talking about tickets and doing things mm-hmm. only one night mm-hmm. on a, over a two-night show and, you know, them being different. Um, you know, of course, all of this is, you know, great insight from him. But, I, you know, I'd love to know what percentage of his mind is also thinking like, okay, if I only do this the second night and we make this a habit, people are going to start buying tickets for every single night and we will always sell out and we will right. basically, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to ensure that income from a marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to know how much of his mind is on that mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I do think that some of the stuff he talks about, it does kind of presuppose that someone is seeing them all, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, because otherwise, what difference does it make if the first day is different from the second night if you're only at one of them? Right. Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and the thing about, like, this thing I just mentioned about the one, um, you like, there's no record of the first night. I mean, like, the second mm-hmm. night got released, but the first right. night mm-hmm. vanished into, you know, the ether. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anyway. Well, I suppose, you know, they, they do intercut. You know, it, I suppose it's okay to assume that even though what we saw was the content from the second night, that you know, shots here and there were edited in from the first night as well. You know, mm-hmm. we we do know that that does happen. Mm-hmm. That even though they focus primarily on the second night, if there's a better take of something on the first night, they will use it. Mm-hmm. As yeah. long as it matches continuity, right. So I don't think it's fair. I don't think I only bring that up because I don't think it's fair to say that that show is completely lost from the ether. For all we know, half of what we see in that DVD is from the first night. Yeah, that could be. I, um, I guess I'm just thinking like the, the things that made the first night different from the second night. Um, mm. Those are yeah, the things true. that are gone, like like coming those in on the flying forever. gondola. You know, it'd be interesting right. to see that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Definitely. They, they, I guess at the end of the third show, they they announced, you know, a huge pile of things that's that was the introduction of fox day new second album was going to be released wembley show in england the day after that uh starting the world tour 2016 that would end at the tokyo dome all of that was announced at the end of the third trilogy installment mm-hmm. i i still can't quite figure out if this was planned or just wound up being a coincidence it seems like it must have been planned that the trilogy shows were at Saitama Super Arena, Makuhari Messi, uh, Yokohama Arena. So S, M, and Y in the center of that triangle is Tokyo Dome. <laughs> There's <laughs> that, no way that wasn't planned. That's insane. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, huh. Huh. Attention to detail. I'll yeah. say it again. Attention to detail. So I wonder if there was like some better venue they passed up because they needed a venue that started with S. Mm, I mean, the, uh, the thing is that those, SSA is a pretty dope venue. I don't yeah. know that there's a better one. Like the better one would be Tokyo Dome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I think they've all, all three of those venues are big and they've, I mean, they've been, they've been to all three of them multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As think. far as I know, they're the biggest concert venues that isn't like an outdoor stadium yeah. in the Tokyo metropolitan area. So maybe that's mm-hmm. why. You know, the Yui and Ma got picked because they needed a Y and an M. <laughs> Said, or or you can do this and change your name. Either way, one of those. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, there's a lot here. We're not even coming close to touching everything that's in the, in these. By the way, no, not even no. a little bit. Yeah. No, there's a lot. The next one is uh, Legend Five, um, Chapter Five: The World United as the One. I didn't actually take very many notes on this, so I'm not sure that, you know, this this is covering uh, the Wembley concert, the, uh, you know, sort of release of the uh, the second album, and talks a little bit about the song, uh, The One, and the the idea that there's two meanings, you know, we can be all be united as, as one, you know, which is sort of the meaning I thought it had, um, mm-hmm. but also, also he claims that this is supposed to be um, respecting others' individuality as well, you know, like the one 
respecting mm-hmm. the one of other people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he talks about I, I I don't know. This is I thought this was just kind of funny. Um, anecdotally, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, oh, doing things internationally are different than the way we do things in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and that was like a revelation he had in preparation for Wembley. And I was like, yeah, no kidding. I just thought that was kind of funny that right. he decided to call that out. Mm-hmm. Mysterious rules that don't exist in Japan, he says. <laughs> yeah, I wondered, I wondered what exactly he was referring to there when he said that. But yeah, it's pretty funny. Then <laughs> um, they did the, I want to talk about the the live broadcast. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Wembley, well, first go watch Wembley. Um, but when they do Road of Resistance, it, no, it's the one at the end. They do, they put, I don't even know where it happened in Japan. Um, this is how little I know about it, but mm-hmm. there was like a live connection between their performance at Wembley and some live thing happening in Japan that I don't know anything about. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys, do you guys actually know this, the story? Yeah. They were yeah, watching but, it live somewhere, but I don't yeah, know where like, the where, where was. was I, I don't honestly know. And probably in the middle of the night, right? Or like, yeah, two yeah, yeah it would have been in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, where did this happen? You know, cause it's a fair amount of people you can see on the little screen in Wembley. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love more mm-hmm. insight on that. Um, so if you're listening to this and have insight on that, shoot us an email or make a comment because I would love to know where this event happened in Japan and who got to go. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would actually be an interesting little tidbit to find out. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that I always forget about too. Mm-hmm. That, that happens because they've never done it again. They, that's the one and only time it's been done mm-hmm. and there's no information on it. Like you can go back in the archives and like, see where stuff happened where where shows happened where things you could buy tickets for happened and how you bought them and how much they cost like all that stuff's documented but not this we're gonna let you be on a webcam connected to Wembley while we perform their thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe it's all just like I'd amuse to- employees <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> yeah, excited. To- exactly yeah I don't know was it live was it just pre-recorded fans you know, that they threw up on the screen, you know, it'd, it'd be really interesting to find more information about yeah. that. Well, I know mm-hmm. that, uh, if it was pre-recorded, it would be disappointing because it was definitely, uh, you know, they, they, they speak of it as a connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. right. Um, he's just, uh, talking about the Wembley show. He says, uh, looking back now, we had 17 songs in the Wembley set list and I, it was probably our longest solo performance. In hindsight, I feel it was a bit too much. <laughs> But uh, but we just released the second album and wanted people to listen to the new songs as soon as possible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it is. He definitely has uh, followed a philosophy of don't provide too much. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think maybe even now it's the longest single show. And he talks. He talks about in the section. You know, he talks about the one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we've. He's explicitly talked about the meaning behind the one. Is it? Plausible. I, I don't. I don't recall having read it before. I certainly had not heard about this. Um, yeah, so it's dual meanings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll just read it because I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he says the the song "The One" has two meanings. It can mean that through baby metal, everyone can be united and the world will be one. But it also means that we should respect each other's individual only one, so to speak. There are many types of metal: Japanese metal, Viking metal. LA metal and each one has its own personality all of them exist as one big metal village within a community acknowledging each other's existence Mm -hmm. you know and he goes on and gets 
a little bit deeper into that. But those are the two meanings he had in mind for the one. And I thought that was interesting. Um, I think that if only because that's kind of what I assumed. And that was, that was kind of my interpretation of what the one is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice to have it on paper, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> from, from the horse's mouth. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I was. I think I was saying that sort of at the beginning that it, that's like these are the sort of things I guessed in a lot of cases. You know, yeah. like I, I don't feel like there were huge surprises here, but it is still, it is still like interesting to to see that I was guessing right or whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I guess that's you know, and you know, credit to him for doing it in a way that's both mysterious but accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, you're able to draw those conclusions and have them validated and not just be so far wildly off base you get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then that does speak to the the skill and the attention to detail, I think, that goes into everything they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, there's a um, a picture of them uh, teleporting in Wembley, you know, because they, they had uh, three white figures, you know, figures dressed in white, you know, sort of illuminated at one point uh on the stage at the beginning mm-hmm. of Wembley and then then the lights went down and then the actual people were standing on the little circle stage out in the middle um so they teleported yeah. out there I thought that was pretty neat <laughs> yeah yeah they, they almost recycled that at the forum though not with the hooded white figures yeah they I was just teleported just that. forward that that yeah, was such that a was cool really effect neat. yeah uh, that was really neat you know and it isn't it, I don't feel like it was captured properly on the um blu-ray which is irritating because yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, no. it's just because I guess the camera jumped around too much. But I mean, you really want to see like the stage and then the people in one spot frozen and then in another spot frozen. But instead, yeah. the camera's jumping around and like, you, like you know, the only way you can appreciate that is really through a fan cam. Um, mm-hmm. Right, definitely. Yeah, because standing but, like where I was at, because I was lucky enough to be like on the barrier, um, I was kind of like a little bit more than midway and seeing it in that direction it just was it was really cool to see just them kind of bopping and the fact that they were still like still and just i don't know it was a really cool effect yeah yeah no, <laughs> it was, it was, really it was well constructed yeah I, mm-hmm. one of the fan cams i remember seeing like i so i didn't see this and i couldn't see i couldn't see them move in person but you can see in some of the fan cams um them moving between lit parts um you know sort of ruins it a little bit but uh you know it is it's it, it was a really cool idea and i really wish that they'd capture that on on video the other thing mm-hmm. I, I really wish they would have captured on video properly is the um uh, at the end of the movie that opened the show they had lasers coming from the back onto the screen oh, that, yeah. where the, was sort of like building building out the logo and yeah. yes that effect really did not make it onto the Blu-ray, um, and it mm-hmm. looked so cool. But yeah, that's one of those things that's just really hard to capture in camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, so again, again, I look, you know, look at the the fan cams when I want to remember <laughs> what that would look like because you know at least uh, yeah. I think what they need they just needed to to have a wider shot. They they just showed the screen with a little bit of imagery of the lasers coming in, but it was it was interesting mm-hmm. to see the lasers coming from the back. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that was very cool. It was a little so. different, yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, uh, actually, the thing that I was looking for when I saw the teleportation photo was that um, uh, Koba does mention that um, in the past, uh, the members have said that they had some regrets about the performance, you know, that uh, 
uh, particularly, I think both Yui and Moa had said um, they really weren't happy with that. Uh, they yeah. you know, were sort of crying to each other afterwards. Um, and Koba says, well, mm-hmm. but in my opinion, I think they did a great job. <laughs> uh, I was impressed with how mm-hmm. they were able to complete a show in such an away-from-home environment without as much rehearsal time as they might have had for a solo show in Japan. So, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And may... 17 songs. Like, yeah. holy crap. Yeah. That's, that is, a, that's, that's a long a show. List. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so apparently the fact that I didn't take many notes did not keep us from talking a long time. <laughs> True. No. <laughs> What's kind of interesting going forward in the rest of this book mm-hmm. is that we already have a lot of information from past interviews and conversations we've seen with him mm-hmm. um, going forward. Um, so I think the the focus kind of shifts to things I've heard before, but maybe rephrased. Yeah, yeah. Kind of in the second half of the book. I think it could be. And I think the, the, the earlier stuff, the insights to the earlier process, I think were the more interesting parts, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. It's, uh, so six, the one we're on, uh, the one we just moved into, is the one that basically is about Tokyo Dome. Um, and mm-hmm. there were some things that I thought were a little bit interesting about how that was set up. So like the, um, we all know what it looked like, but um, the reason for that giant uh, tall stage Pillar. in the middle was <laughs> was specifically because it's a baseball stadium and uh people at the top are very far away from things so in order to mm-hmm. sort of connect with everybody that's there he built this super tall structure in the middle um that they were actually on top of for part of the time you know so so the people even the even in the worst seats you could have apart from like being behind a speaker at least <laughs> um uh you know you felt like you were sort of sort of part of it so mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so the, the point, I guess, is that he spent a lot of time, he and the team spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to keep people immersed, you know, because um, it's a terrible yeah. concert venue. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think most of the time when there is a concert being held at Tokyo Dome, it's typically towards like the home plate. It's just like one flat stage, usually. And from what I've seen, like other, I have seen a few other like clips of different Tokyo Dome performances from other people. And there's usually like some kind of like, like a, um, like a trick, like a track that runs through the rest of the crowd. And then later on, they end up on this platform or moving platform and they go through the crowd and that sort of thing. Sometime during the show Mm. usually is, is kind of like the seems to be mm-hmm. the prime directive of anybody who does a show there but to do it in the center like that i guess like you said like it has been cons- always been said throughout this whole entire thing is that you know they think ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> that also kind of i don't know though the full stage is being used at pretty much all points in time whereas like a track would be you know only used once and it's done so yeah. I don't know. It just made that just makes a lot more sense in that regard too. I don't know. Just just a little mm-hmm. little think there. <laughs> yeah, there was a, some uh, sort of similar things being said about the the Budokan show too. Um, that uh, you know, basically, an attempt was being made to eliminate distance to make everybody feel like part of this uh, event. Right. Yeah. Some of those. Some of the distance she- seats um, are really far away. <laughs> You know, yeah. Tokyo Dome. So, uh, yeah, and actually, he, uh, 
when we eventually get to Legend of Metal Galaxy, there was another thing that he mentioned there um, that uh, about it being very tempting to just if you have the the screen there showing what's going on, um, you wind up just watching the screen, <laughs> you know, yeah. right, and not the people who are doing it. So, but yeah, uh, that's kind of a bummer when that happens i don't know yeah. i feel a little less i don't know i do when i start watching a screen i do feel a little bit more disconnected from the from the performance yeah a bit mm-hmm. but um with um like big fox festival being my first one they did have the girls up on the screen and they had them on each individual one but the nice thing about it is and they've used it is that they started doing the effects on the screen so that way i don't know it it, it kind of gave watching the screen a little bit more meaning i guess right. yeah. <laughs> i know that sounds weird to say giving meaning but like instead of just feeling like oh i'm just watching it it's like oh there's this really neat thing that they're doing and you don't see it on the stage you see it on the screen it kind of right. and i guess the same thing would be like if you're up close and you're watching just the girls and then you look up and it's like oh hey this is going on on the screen this is really neat so you know i don't know that's Cool. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> Yava, I think, had um, like live fire effects on them. Yes, it was um, the l- lightning, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, several songs. That's the first time they started using VFX yeah. on their screen. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking about Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, Which I don't think they did any of that at Tokyo Dome. No, no. they did not. No. So all the people who attended the show had little um, neck braces that lit up. And this was another part of the like providing a sense of unity. So since it's, since everybody's seated, there's not going to be any like circle pits or anything like that. Um, and he says pen lights are not a good fit for baby metal. <laughs> um, no, just sort of throws that <laughs> out. And, uh, you know, and, and I think um, that goes sort of without any explanation. But uh, clearly, he has he has an opinion on this. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you know it also it doesn't really fit i mean like you know those tend to be many different colors and it's just it's disorganized um Mm -hmm. in a way that these these uh glowing neck braces were not Mm -hmm. so i did i think they um which one was it i'm trying to think it's i think it was sue's birthday the one with the big mother mary statue in the back that broke i think they were using like the pin lights in that show oh yeah 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 yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't think that was, that was probably not, uh, it wasn't like they provided them. <laughs> it was like people brought oh. them. Right. And well, they, this is what you did. Stopped. True. Well, true. Oh yeah. Well, now they've stopped all that sort of thing now. <laughs> no flags. <laughs> no, nothing. Yeah. Just you. <laughs> I mean, right. Not a fun club. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think. I can see I can see the idea that like you don't want the pen lights because it ruins the the theatrics. I mean, like they've they've got all mm-hmm. the lighting planned. They don't need your contribution. <laughs> you know, fair enough. Right, fair um, enough. And I I always thought the flags thing was at least partly, um, you know, like a safety thing. You know, you don't want to be moshing around with a with a you know a stick. <laughs> but, well, yeah. Um, I, everybody well, even loves, like the big flags too, but right. I think everybody everybody likes to make it sound like you know what he doesn't like is the little pink soccer gawkin flags but i you know I, I, that <laughs> might be true but i i think there might actually be a real reason for it too mm-hmm. well i mean i could see that yeah at least i wouldn't want to mosh into somebody you know holding that at eye level 
No, not particularly. <laughs> no. But, yeah. Oh, he said it took almost a year to develop those neck braces that lit up, and they were used only during the one on the first day and IDZ on the second day. So one time per mm-hmm. night, once on its own, once and it's over. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, the time has changed, and I'm sitting in the dark now. <laughs> was it dark? Yeah, I had to, I had to turn on my lamp. <laughs> oh well, uh, that's okay. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't actually have anything else that I particularly wanted to say here. Mm-mm. I mean, Tokyo Dome was impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing I do want to bring out, mm-hmm. and again, this is a a detail thing that I hadn't really picked up on, um, and musically. You know, now that I think about it, it makes a ton of sense and is super cool. Um, so he talks about Tales of Destinies, and he calls it a hurricane of odd time signatures, uh-huh. which yes. is super true. Listen to it's that song, and accurate. it's really hard. It's very accurate. Um, and he goes on to say, after weathering the storm, a world of silent light spreads out before us, and then you're on your way to the one at the end of this journey. And um, just from a set list construction standpoint, going from the chaoticness and very hard to follow and as we know perform mm-hmm. tales of destinies with a million different time signatures and things going on um i that's that's just really good set list management going from that to something that is i don't know calming yeah almost it it, it enhances it enhances the musicality of the one um if it follows something like Tales of Destinies. And I thought that was super interesting insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, actually, um, those those two songs, they weren't always separate. I mean, like, they are the same song, kind of, in a way. Um, yeah. They're, yeah. they're two parts of the same song. They they blend right. from one to the other. Uh, and you, you can hear, you know, there are motifs in one that make it, or in the other that make it into the one, I guess is the way I should say that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, sure. Uh, but it really does have a nice effect, and particularly in that big um, performance. And that was the—that's the only mm-hmm. time they performed this. So I mean, like, yeah, it's the same kind of feeling you get if you go watch an action movie, and there's a ton of stuff going on for five minutes, like a car chase or big gun battle or something like that. And then always after that is preceded by like this this calm scene or scenes mm-hmm. right after it, mm-hmm. and you you feel that you feel your own adrenaline from being you know in the scene kind of start to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they replicate that kind of feeling musically by putting these two songs back to back. Yeah. Um, and that's not something I had consciously thought about before. And I thought that was, again, a really cool attention to detail and something they're thinking about. Yeah. They're, they're emotionally manipulative <laughs> in a way. I mean, like, it just brings you to mm-hmm. tears right at that point. Like, you just, yeah. like, it doesn't matter. Um, and it's exactly mm-hmm. for that reason, you know, that's, that it's this big, you know, it's this big whirlwind and then like we made it, you know, the lights come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, a, a very impressive moment. Yeah. Um, anecdotally, I don't know that it's worth talking about. I just thought it was amusing. Um, he was talking about black Knight, and he mentions that, uh, his, one of his <laughs> most memorable scenes for him was this anger. <laughs> he goes on to say, he thinks it must have set a record for the fastest song ever played at the dome. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. And I really, this, I have no idea if that's true or not, but I'd love to think it is because I think that's hilarious. Yeah. It does remind me a little bit of, what was that? I guess, uh, on the headbanger single, they had uh, a little, a little movie that was attached to it, which, um, was 
the original version of Baby Metal Death, which essentially is just them saying yeah. Baby Metal Death and it's over. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, yeah. The two, it was like the shortest music video in existence, I think, or something. Yeah. I mean, like, and yeah, it's like one second long, something like that. And yeah. it's followed by them, like, re, you know, like laughing, reading the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, like the, yeah. the, the, the whole yeah. it was very much that was the idea. Like, this is a short song. Um, yeah. And it's funny, actually, if you watch the video, because it's like, you know, there's like five minutes of this guy, like introducing the video, you know, it's, uh, it's Koba in a bone <laughs> suit, you know, but it's, uh, it actually is overdubbed in a couple of different languages uh, by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this big, long thing that introduces it. There's like a one second video. And then there's, then, then there's like, you know, video afterwards of them, like reading the, reading the Guinness Book of World Records and stuff. But I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's all ridiculous yeah. from start to finish. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I guess we can probably move on the next uh, one. We're on seven now. Let's see. Okay. So the, okay. So this one is basically. I feel like more happened in here, but feel, um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, after a lot Tokyo happened. Dome, Legend S <laughs> is what seven is about. Um, there's a bunch of stuff about like uh, the five fox festivals and uh, red hot chili peppers and stuff uh, that happened in there. Gets a little bit of mm-hmm. a mention. Uh, but mainly this is about Legend Us. Koba Notes, one of Baby Metal's best shows. I've lost track of how many mm-hmm. were Baby Metal's best shows, but <laughs> yeah. uh, this is one of them. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder which one isn't. Maybe that would be more informative. That would be an interesting question to ask. Him. I could have swore there was actually a mention about it. There, one, there was one that he was just kind of like, eh, about, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. So this one was, it was heavy. It was ritualistic. Uh, it was also like a theme park. Um, mm-hmm. Had these, had this stage with the giant, you know, fox heads and had this very ritualistic opening for, uh, within the name of, before we even knew it was a song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being to so sort of cool. break down a previously constructed image and build a new one. So mm-hmm. uh, it had a, it had an impressive story on its own. But then mm-hmm. you know, but then it had the, it got this extra story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said he said that you know, like due, due to Yui Metal's sudden absence, another story was born. Um, so Sue Metal, the main performer of the ritual, Mo Metal, who supported her, and Yui Metal, who was unable to be there, three stories were created that they weren't anticipating. Yeah, and I feel, I do feel like we we all have talked about this part a lot. Um, anyway, yes. but yeah, um, but you know, he does talk a little bit about you know. Basically, they didn't know what was going to happen up until the very last moment. Distortion was originally originally scheduled to debut, um, and they had to make hasty changes to the second day once they completed the first with a reduced cast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but nevertheless, all this stuff. I mean, like, so distortion uh, is quintessential dark side. I mean, like, you know, so the dark side yeah. was coming, and that was planned, and uh, it was going to deb- debut at Legend S and and didn't, but. Um, it, you know, everything was still proceeding uh, according to a kind of a plan. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, one thing. Uh, so, um, one thing that was mentioned. Uh, where was it? Where was that mentioned? Uh, f- the people in the distortion video. You know, the uh, none of the members are in the video, but he does mention that those were the chosen seven. Like the chosen seven was not. You know, it's like some combination of the members we know in the commie band or, you know, uh, extra Avengers or anything like that. It was yeah. those people in the video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I was going to they never really like 
expanded on that though like at all like with those specific characters like they had seven people obviously at like the dark carnival or whatever those sets of shows but they never really expanded on the characters themselves nope i thought that was a little disappointing in my own opinion but nah, it is what it is they yeah they exist only in the distortion video yeah um there is an interesting novel not in the other video yeah not even in the graphic novel there is an interesting parallel that is in a translator note from funny toss um comparing it to seven samurai yeah um which basically all modern storytelling is based off of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so i i wouldn't say it's a stretch to think that he had kind of that theming in his mind when he chose seven sure to be yeah. the chosen mm-hmm. seven as a callback right. to seven samurai one of the most influential films of all time everywhere in the world not just you know japanese film right mm-hmm. everybody mentions Simmons the seven the seven samurai mm-hmm. yeah um, but you're right, though. They don't it just opened a story thread that never got closed, basically. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Not even clo- I mean, um, not closed, not continued, not anything. I mean, like even it's, yeah. it's not even the same characters in the um, Starlight video. Yeah. Like I've, I've been talking about through this whole time, having an appreciation for how everything was planned, extremely meticulous and their attention to detail is you know almost unrivaled. Um, this is the only part kind of on this journey reading through this where I feel like he just kind of hand waves it away. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Okay, let, let's go, let's go talk about something else. Um, Cause I, I do still think that while the dark side may have been planned, I think there might have been a little bit more story. It's hard to, it's hard to read the first six chapters of this and think that they would have just hand waved the chosen seven stuff away. Mm-hmm. Right. And, some changes, adaptations, and things had to be changed due to the departure of Yui. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because all the evidence leading up to this point is that they would not have just abandoned a story thread that they opened like that. Right. Like they have. Yeah. Though I still I have no idea what they would have done. These are these are like a, an entirely new cast of people unrelated to anybody we've seen. Kovat said something about like this being a parallel universe. You know, what... what uh, what these these individuals are doing in the other universe or whatever the dark universe mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um but i still don't know how that connects <laughs> yeah it really what it, the chosen seven really seems to be is you know exactly like that the you know seven samurai group of you know uh people battling evil in the dark side of the universe you know unrelated to anything <laughs> doesn't even mm-hmm. like yeah. it it doesn't need to be part of this story at all um it is i don't i don't have you guys seen seven samurai no, actually, no. I have not. I don't know. Spoiler alert. Can I, can I, should I do a spoiler alert for a 70 year old movie? Um, and <laughs> no, anyways. it's fine. Yeah. So the end of Seven Samurai, yada, yada, through the movie, there are three survivors of the seven. Uh-huh. I'm just going to throw that out. I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. That's probably not, uh, <laughs> it's, it's probably relevant, although it still, it still suggests that. Th- three of those seven are, you know, connected, uh, are the same individuals in some way as, as our three. Yeah. Well, so look at, look at what happens through the dark side and how they make their, what we'll learn is the triumphant return Mm -hmm. as we move into part eight of this book. Um, it goes from three to seven and then 
back to three sort of right with the Avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, so but if I had to guess how this seven samurai chosen seven thing would have played out, I'm guessing he was basically just going to do seven samurai. Yeah. And, maybe. and can, and connect it to the end of having four of them disappear or go away or return to the Fox God or, I, I don't know, maybe crucified and die. Who knows? They've done that before. Um, yeah, right. You know, revealing the three surviving samurai, you know, triumphantly returning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Et cetera. Actually, the world tour in Japan was called the triumphant return. Um, and there's a, a right. another talk here, which uh, this, this we've, we've heard this before. I forget now where, but um, that the stage was designed to have three triangles. I guess this must it says world tour in Japan. I kind of feel like we were talking about dark Knight carnival last time we were talking about this, but basically triangles headed by each of the three. So there's a Sioux triangle and a mm-hmm. UA triangle and a Moa triangle, you know, each with their entourage. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially. And um, I think that, I think uh, if I counted that right, that's nine. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure quite how that fits in, <laughs> but, right. Um, but it's still, it's you know, at least the story is remaining consistent that uh, the plan was to have all three of them there. Mm-hmm. So would have been cool to see how they actually wanted to have that thing end because I bet it's different and I bet he's just following some seven samurai. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and the show notes I, that I had, I had written, by the way, about the little, um, the triangles I had written the Gunthers ah, be- because a yes. uh, callback to, translation difficulty with uh, uh, uh transcription difficulty with dancers being yeah. written as gunthers <laughs> the, you know so each of suma and yui would have had their team of gunthers <laughs> which I, I, I will just forever love <laughs> um anyway, mentioned in chat and i just wanted to throw this out there because it's a fun brain exercise he says ostensibly yui rehearsed distortion with them mm-hmm. and that's just kind of fun to think about yep <laughs> And distortion, like the the choreography for distortion, really does work well with three. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we didn't get to see mm-hmm. that when it debuted. We got yeah. to see it with four, and it didn't make any sense. Right, didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and he also um, mentioned somewhere that this this triangle and dancers um, formation is it kind of represents a powered up baby metal which you know it's it seems like a video game analogy it seems like a 1980s video game analogy where you like you yeah. drive your little ship over a power up and now you fire three shots <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah anyway yeah i uh um interrupted you saying something that you have probably now forgotten <laughs> eh. seven samurai <laughs> was probably somewhere in the in the mix there yeah yeah that's fine. Anyways, I thought that was an interesting call out. Thanks for the uh, the translation note there because it put me in a whole rabbit hole of remembering Seven Samurai and mm-hmm. how that is probably true. Yeah, knowing what we know about Koba, he does love his illusions and his. And he his, really his, does. He's ramen and his baseball and his yeah. references. Yeah, true. Everything is baseball. It's always about like being at <laughs> bat or having an all star show or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, part eight. Part eight. Part eight. Part eight. I, 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 I. Odyssey to the Metal Galaxy. I, 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 I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Karamba. Yeah. So this is this is basically. Um, I guess. Well, the podcast existed at this point, um, and maybe it sort of existed at the tail end of seven. <laughs> so, but I remember. Yeah. I remember the uh, 
uh, like this, I feel I feel like the sun also rises and legend of and all that stuff. I feel like that is modern era. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But that's what we're talking about here. So the, the Avengers, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. And and again, we're getting into more territory, which I didn't really learn anything new. I don't think, mm-hmm. um, because this this era, quote unquote, of the band has shifted to a, a little bit more open, right? Right. And plus, we've been mm-hmm. talking about it for however many years this podcast right. been going and, on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've done episodes on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, so eight eight covered um, the sun also rises, and it covered uh, mentioned Glastonbury, Legend M, uh, and they set their goal for the forum, and then talked a little bit about that. I guess the forum. One thing that was that was I thought was kind of um, interesting that he mentioned here somewhere was uh, you know like th- well they had they wanted to have a huge LED screen. And I, when mm-hmm. I was there, I thought, oh, that's a big LED screen. And then that immediately, was a big LED screen. you know, <laughs> that did not last very long as a, as kind of like a record setting LED screen. Now it no, looks it really kind of tiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Accurate. <laughs> he, he talked a little bit about how, dealing with things like stage equipment that showed up different from what they ordered. <laughs> and so they had yeah. to like re- restage oh. things at the last second. You know, it's like, I didn't know. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And also talked a little bit about the forum being a big deal, but actually kind of only halfway uh, through their journey. You know, so it was it was pretty much the end of the U.S. tour, but it was you know par- on the way to Legend Metal Galaxy, the Europe tour, and the Asian tour that uh, I think didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. so it was really kind of like a midpoint. Um, I think that's about all that I had written there uh, mm-hmm. as things to talk about. Yeah, again, I mean if. If this is all new to you, just I would go read it or maybe catch up on the podcast. So plug there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that there is just yeah, there's just a lot of stuff we kind of already know. Kind of going to the end of the book here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we can. Um, oh, see, and and if, if you look in the um, actual sort of translation webpage, you can see a picture of the thing I was talking about with the lasers building the logo at the mm-hmm. beginning. And what you see is a picture of the logo and a couple little lines that uh, were actually very impressive lasers coming from the back of the room. Yeah. Um, it really, it really did look, I mean, like, you know, it's all in effect, but it really did look like mm-hmm. the lasers were painting it on the screen. I mean, it did. Yeah, it was very it well did. done. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we can move to nine. Speaking of one-upsmanship, you know, we thought the forum screen was huge, and one of the first things he talks about at Little Mojang Galaxy was, let's cover the entire wall with a LED screen. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes on to say, you know, it's not the same kind of wall as in a normal building. You need a bicycle to get from one end to the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He said uh, it was so huge, it was said to be the first time that Makuhari Mese used Tokyo Dome-grade LED panels. Yeah. Um. And he also goes on to say, which I think is just, it's just funny. It probably wasn't necessary to set up an LED screen from one end to the other, even if everyone needs to be able to see it. Even at a reduced size, the audience at the very back would have been able to see it clearly enough. However, oh, yeah. I felt it wasn't like Baby Metal to do things halfway. <laughs> right. That would have been Don't too dull. Half the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. And uh, he said, we've heard before that Zoom Metal and Mo Metal were, were maybe jokingly, maybe only, maybe not entirely jokingly jealous of uh, 
the video of Joachim Brodan uh, doing yeah. homage and I because he just like that's everybody watched that you know so yeah. big and, yeah you, uh, I didn't see a single thing that happened on stage live I don't think during that right <laughs> I just it's just giant Joachim they doing, were so tiny <laughs> they were microscopic yeah at that scale yes and so Koba says, like, even even if they were jealous of the attention that uh, Joachim got on the screen, you know, with his funny performance, and he was that he said it was a funny performance, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, yeah. He said it would be a shame to show a half baked video on such a massive screen. <laughs> and and you know, he also notes that on the pro shot video released later, you can see what the members were doing. So you know, yeah, just watch the screen when you're there, and you can watch the members on the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> gives you an excuse to pay money to buy the Blu-ray. I, well, I mean. <laughs> And from a fan perspective, you know, I was fortunate I got to go. I don't, I, I never thought to myself afterwards, oh, I really wish I had watched them dance and not Joachim Broden during this song. Yeah. True. You know, so I, yeah. So I, I don't feel it detracted from the performance at all, even though they might have been a little jealous. I thought it was just hilarious and really fun in the moment. Yeah. It was cute. Not gonna lie. I was slightly disappointed that he wasn't actually there, but it is what it is. <laughs> I yeah, oh, I don't yeah. know. I think there was there was a chance too, wasn't it? Like I, I I seem to remember. Maybe that was the forum. It might have been the forum actually. That that like uh, relevant people were across town. <laughs> they could have. Yeah, Sabat- was it Sabaton? Was it was also yeah, in LA Sabaton, or Sabaton was yeah. Sabaton had a performance at the uh, Palladium the actually Palladium. that night. Yeah, they yeah. Were, yeah, yeah. The same night as the forum, they were at the Palladium. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, and then um. The guitarist for uh, Bees, um, yeah. he was there visiting, oh, right. yeah, but yeah. he didn't perform. Tak Matsumoto. Yeah, right. him. Uh, he also, also, Koba talks a little bit about, about um, Brand New Day and the, being impressed by this image of Michael Jackson showing up and standing just as a silhouette for like a minute and a half and the yeah. audience just flipping out at the silhouette and he's like yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um you know yeah. so so he decided basically for that song you know like the screens were not going to be helping people see what's going on on stage they are going to be part of the stage set and mm-hmm. the dancers will be silhouetted against it and uh, it is a really cool it was a cool yeah. effect it um, was and, you know, we talked at the very beginning of the show about red, white and blue being the only colors, you know, because of this, you know, football field size LED screen behind them. We we do get a lot of new color introduced into the live experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, Brand New Day was very warm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they talk about the first night being the light side, exploring the light side of baby metal. Right. Yeah. And I remember mm-hmm. walking into the hall and the hall was baked in a warm. Was it, a, it was like a warm goldish color. Right. Mm-hmm. Maggie. Mm, yeah yeah because the second or yeah second, cause the night, second was night, like night was blue, blue. yeah the second, second night, night was, was a dark blue yeah. yeah so this is the first i'm gonna say this is just the first time they've used and kind of gotten away from that lighting model um to great effect uh-huh. mm-hmm. well, oh another thing that i i mean like so we knew that the day one was basically light side and day two was dark side and you know that was largely you know the t- that largely set the tone there was some discussion of how um like the audience interaction too was different you know so that um uh sumo metals and mo metals approach to the audience was had a deadly intense energy that was distinct from day mm-hmm. one that they were sort of mm-hmm. specifically acting out these these um different 
concepts too. Uh, he said Headbanger mm-hmm. had the longest bowing sequence since Tokyo Dome, and I think Tokyo Dome had been yeah, mentioned as having accurate. a super long one. Um, yeah, yeah. He said that the, sort of as if the audience spontaneously did that, but that's nonsense because the click track no. just goes however long it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and then they brought out the the bones guys and everything. Yeah, yeah, I think on the audio, I think it's like what the whole entire track is like five thirty six minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's long. Yeah, skip. It's it really is very long. Skip. <laughs> it is very long. Oh, I don't skip, and I specifically listen to that version just for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this. What we need is like a, a ten-hour YouTube remix or whatever of just <laughs> yeah, there Adobon, you go. Adobon. <laughs> Right. Somebody that get on would that. Be cool. I think I've seen something similar of the uh, like. To, you know when they come out of uh, before catch me again sometimes with a uh, the hi 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 stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sure. extended to hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! You just cannot take that for hours. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of hours, uh, we can probably move to ten in the epilogue. See more. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Which is, which is the end of it. So this this is basically about the ten baby metal Budokan. We have talked at length about most of these things. Um, he, you know, he sort of talks about the challenge that they're, you know, trying to do this when, you know, half the seats are gone and everybody has to wear a mask yeah. and no one can speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the world has turned into a dystopia. Yeah. Yes. One thing that I, th- I didn't really realize. I think I may have mentioned this here before that I didn't realize it before then. But um, that there's a, a stage around the outside. I, I guess I don't fully understand what's being discussed here but he says in this that at, at the Budokan shows there's a, a, a ring stage or a bridge stage around the outside that was only visited at the very end of the final day mm-hmm. um yeah that's, that's where the gongs were yeah right but was it not the case that on like night two or was it maybe it was night three i don't know um sue got stranded out there so are there three? Is there? Is there like? Is there two rings, and they just didn't use the outermost ring until the end? Because there was some place where, like, you know, there are bridges to the center, two somewhere else. Sue got stranded on on the outer ring during like Road of Resistance or something. Um, well, they just went and stood out there. They didn't walk around it. Maybe that's maybe what that's he what means. he meant. Is they didn't maybe. they didn't actually use it. They didn't actually use it. They just kind of stood there. Because otherwise, I think they did, you know, like the bridges all connect, you know, the bridges that they were on that sort of go up and down and they can miss and that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, I I think mm-hmm. unless there was a second ring that I, you know, no, I, don't I don't think, think so. Was. Yeah. All right. So then I didn't learn or I, I maybe clarified what I knew already, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I thought I was learning something new. Also, he says, um, as you may have guessed, under the circumstances of dystopia, it may have seemed like a waste of money at first glance. But the fox god didn't care about that, even to the very end. And there are things that are more important <laughs> than money that must not be changed. So he does seem to be okay with spending a lot on the experience. Mm. Yeah. And I think we've all, uh, all already covered the idea that uh, if he's motivated by profit, he's terrible at it. <laughs> you know? Sure. He's ter- at least he's terrible at maximizing uh, profit because there are many things mm. that he could sell that he does not. So, mm-hmm. yes, I guess one thing, one thing I think it's worth mentioning about his thoughts around why they did the 10 gongs and 
Um, you know, it wasn't just to signify or close out metal resistance. Um, he, he built it as a way to give the performers, to give the girls a way to express their gratitude to as many people as possible for as long as possible in the context of the show, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting that, that, that was, that sequence was built around the fan experience, right. not necessarily the lore experience mm-hmm. and wanting to close metal resistance just more of a celebration um, than anything yeah and, it, and i do appreciate hearing stuff like uh, hearing stuff like that from him right mm-hmm. like like the idea is we want them to go traverse the 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 entire ring and and interact with people but just having them do that by itself would be kind of nonsense so we'll give them something to right. do they can bang a gong at each point right oh and he, he said that uh GJ was rebuilt by Moa Metal and the Baby Foxes. So we have a now we have a name for those the Baby Foxes dancers that were hanging out with Moa there, learning how to. Oh, Aww. I guess that's not GJ, but um, uh, is it the same? Is it the same characters in GJ and uh, Onidari to Saxon? Onidari, yeah, mm-hmm. I presume so. Okay, so yeah. I mean, there's no way to know. With, yeah. Yes. Okay. I'd be shocked if they were different performers. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I only just realized, I don't know if this is interesting, probably not, it seemed interesting to me, <laughs> but um, the name of that song, Onodari Daisaksan, is not actually what they say. They say um, Onodari Saksan. And for the longest time, like, I know what the name of the song is, I know where that lyric is, and I just could not get enough syllables to fit in there. That's because it's not actually said <laughs> there, because the die mm-hmm. prefix is basically like grand or great or whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like big operation. <laughs> Right, but whatever. So now I know when that part comes in <laughs> that they're not actually saying the syllable die, so I can I can feel like I'm, oh I am at least following along. <laughs> sure. Right. Okay. Um, there's an epilogue. Um, the epilogue doesn't have to say very much, and we I guess I sort of mentioned already what it what it did. He talked about like having a little notepad that he wrote things down on and had some some things in there, and uh, and he he says you know uh, when he went back to look at it he found oh you know like. Hey, things that he'd completely forgotten about um they wound up accomplishing <laughs> you know they did all these mm-hmm. things he'd written down you know female fox equals Megitsune and uh, uh light side dark side all-star gathering living legend yeah you know so so he says um you know can we continue to stay metal you know re- repeatedly shedding our skin as we grow he, unfortunately this is not the book of Re- revelations he's speaking of the book he's writing but there might be a hint of it even just a little who knows and I was wondering about that, you know, like he wrote living legend in his, um, list and he, you know, mm-hmm. that's the one thing that we haven't actually, uh, seen yet. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the little hint that he's talking about. The the little hint of it is that living legend is in his list and, and we haven't yet seen it. It was in the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. I don't know why, but I get this image of like murder. She wrote of him at his like typewriter looking at his notes or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't it's just it's it's funny to me um and how cool would it be to get his hands on his notebook and just kind of look through it (laughs) (laughs) yeah fair enough anyway yeah so so that's the book that's the book um where they go from here only the fox god knows hey anyway it is interesting do read the translation um we've managed to talk for like two hours about it and we only scratched the surface but uh it doesn't Mm -hmm. take that long to read you know you can read faster yeah. than we can talk despite my attempts yeah. earlier on to yes. talk very fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah check it out 
uh, support Funny Toss if you can. Um, yes. Thanks so much for giving us uh, two hours of material here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And there's more, too. I mean, like, there, uh, there's a really interesting young guitar interview with Koba and, uh, and some other stuff mm-hmm. that uh, we will talk about because they'll be sealed for a while, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, for um, at least a little bit, or at least until April. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It, it does sort of feel like they may as well wait until April. There's, mm-hmm. where I guess we're coming up on, well, there's December. That's Sue Metal's birthday, right? Sue's and, birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the New Year's. Don't know if anything's going to happen there, but there'll be a New Year's tweet. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be just like maybe a birthday a, tweet, a gif of a, a cricket or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it does seem like if they're if they're getting close to Fox Day, basically. Once you once you get to the point where you need to re up the one, that's when they need to. That's when they'll yeah, need to say something. A, something will yeah, happen there, yeah. for sure. It's not that far away. Um, no, not really. Not as fast as this year's gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's already past mid November, so it's our almost twenty twenty two, y'all. All right, one day closer to Fox Day. <laughs> that's right. Huh. We'll just look at it that way. Except on Fox Day, it is always one day closer to Fox Day. True. It's a way, way to be positive, Paul. Way right. to be positive. Oh, <laughs> All right. Anyway, I think I could probably on that note. close this off on here. On that note. <laughs> so that is it for this episode. You can join us on the Baby Metal Podcast Discord to continue the conversation. Rating the podcast on whatever platform you listen on will help people find it, so please do that. We'll be back here in, I don't know, two weeks maybe? <laughs> We hope you'll join us then. (laughs) And until then, take care of your neck.